So we're in the series that I'm calling Home for the Holidays, and basically the whole idea is that you are probably stuck at home right now, and maybe that's a frustrating thing for you. Maybe that's a, you, you want to be able to travel, you want to be able to go on a vacation, or you want to be able to visit family or something like that, and you feel stuck, you feel like it's not working the way it should be working, and so I want to give you a little bit of encouragement, and the one big idea of this whole series is that you know, home doesn't have to be that bad. Being stuck at home doesn't have to be that bad as long as you have a good home. And so because I care for you, I want you to have the best possible home you can. This is Christmas week. Can you believe it? And so I've got just this last Sunday to try to help you have a great home for this week when you probably got kids home and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to give you some words today that I think are going to encourage you and help you. But first, let's do some review. Last week is when I started the series, and I was starting the series to kind of talk about what it means to have a good home for the holidays, but we began with the story of Mary and Joseph, who we found out early on in the story became homeless. Mary was homeless because she was pregnant but not married, and so she had to run away from her hometown and leave her family to go to live with some relatives for a period of time. Joseph, we found out, he was in a metaphorical homelessness because he brought Mary into his home but didn't yet fully marry her. He didn't consummate the marriage until after the baby was born. And so for months, he had a woman living in his home, but he wasn't, she wasn't actually his wife in a sense, and so it was a weird situation for him, I'm certain. And so both of them had this kind of homeless experience. And we talked a little bit about what that was. Let me remind you of the lesson we learned last week. No matter where I am or what's going on, if I'm with God, I'm where I belong. And that's home. We learned that because Mary, even though she was away with her relatives and, and trying to deal with this weirdness of being pregnant but having never been with a man, and, and she, in that story, sings a song of joy and praise to God. And we recognize that because she was connected to God, because she had a relationship with her heavenly Father, wherever she was, that was home, because she was where she belonged. Well, today... I'm going to try to take you a little bit deeper into the story with Mary and Joseph. And today we're going to cover some of the most well-known parts of the story, the most famous parts of the story of Mary and Joseph. And as we move along through this, I want you to see repeatedly that they are, in fact, kind of refugees, homeless people who have to make a home where they are. And in fact, that leads us to this main idea for today, home isn't just where you belong. Home is where you make it. Home is what you make it. So take a look with me at Luke chapter 2. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. By the way, this little mention of Quirinius is one of the reasons we know that Luke is telling us the truth. One of the reasons we know that this story is actually historically accurate, because for many, many, many years, for a few centuries, we didn't know that Quirinius was the name of any governor in Syria. But recently, archaeological research over the last 50 years or so has proven that, yes, there was a guy named Quirinius who, yes, was a governor of Syria at this time. Luke knew it before the rest of the world knew it. We had forgotten it in the Middle Ages, and then archaeology 
recovered it. So this is just one other little point that shows us Luke is telling us the truth, which is an amazing thing because the more you trust what the Bible is telling you, the more your life gets in line with what God wants for you. It's an, it's an amazing thing, side note, but you know, let's just keep on moving on. It says, and everyone went to their own town to register. Great. Everyone's going home, right? No. See, here's the thing. When you go to your own town, it doesn't mean you go to the place where you are already living. It means you go to the place where your family of origin was originally from. I don't even know where that would be for me. Would it be Pennsylvania? Would it be New Jersey? Would it be somewhere else over in Europe? I don't know my family history well enough to even know which city in Europe it would be or if I've even come from Europe. Maybe I'm from Russia. I don't even really know. The point is that everybody had to leave their home unless they lived in the town of their family's origin. And that's what happened with Joseph. He lived in Nazareth with Mary, but his family line was David, so that meant he had to go to Bethlehem. And it says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. That doesn't mean Bethlehem was his home. That doesn't even mean he's ever been to Bethlehem. That means he had to pick up, and so did Mary, and they had to depart to live with some distant relatives if they could get a place to stay. Let's take a look and see what the story says next. It says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is one of the most famous stories in all of Christianity, and yet the myth that has surrounded it has also gotten a few of the details wrong. Some translation errors combined with some children's story extrapolation and and embellishment have created a story that you probably know that isn't actually in Scripture. I've talked about this before. Mary and Joseph, there's no passage that tells us Mary rode a donkey to Bethlehem. There's no passage that tells us that as they were riding the donkey to Bethlehem, there was a star shining right over top of their heads. There's no passage that tells us that when they got to Bethlehem, they took time to knock on all the hotels and to knock on the doors of all the hotels and all the different hotels had said no vacancy until finally a good shopkeeper, a good innkeeper said, no, I've got a stable out back you can go in. And so then Mary and Joseph went into the stable to have her give birth next to all the animals. That's not in the Bible. The only thing we find in the Bible is that Nazareth is supposed to be their home and yet the governor, the Roman Caesar has told them they have to leave home and go to another place to register for taxation. That means the government is telling Joseph and Mary what they're supposed to do. And do they complain? Do they get all up in arms? Oh, sorry, Caesar, I can't leave Nazareth. My wife is pregnant. Sorry, Caesar, I can't leave Nazareth. This is where my business is. No, they don't complain. They pick up and they go. They know they have to go somewhere else and experience this hardship of homelessness, and so they go. But when they get there, the phrase in the Bible is actually no guest room available. It doesn't mean there's no inn available. It doesn't mean all the inns. In fact, back then, hotels and inns didn't exist. The only thing that existed back then were relatives hospitable strangers, and prostitutes. That's it. 
That's all that existed back then. If you didn't have a relative in the town, you didn't have a hospitable stranger, or you weren't visiting a prostitute, you had no place to stay. That's the way it worked back then. But the word here is not in, it's guest room. And Joseph was going to his family of origin. That means he had relatives there. So if you put together the story the way it most likely happened, Joseph and Mary did the smart thing and traveled during the day, not at night. Joseph and Mary went from Nazareth down into Bethlehem because Joseph is a good guy. He would have taken her at a good time. They would have found relatives. Joseph would have taken Mary into the house with the relatives, but the older relatives would have gotten the nicer rooms. And all the guest rooms would have been filled by those who deserved higher honor. And here Joseph and this young girl Mary, they were the lowest on the totem pole of respect. And so she gave birth in the center courtyard of the house, which back then, that's where they kept their animals. If you didn't have a field, you would keep your animals inside the house on the lower level. That's where the manger would be. That's where the animals would sleep. And the warmth from the animals would rise to the upper area where the people would be sleeping in the guest rooms. But here's Mary and Joseph, and they're in the, in the lower level. And she wraps the baby and puts him in a manger because there's no bed for them. No matter how you look at the story, yes, it might not be accurate that they knocked on in after in after in, but no matter how you look at the story, you have to acknowledge they were not home, they were not comfortable, they were in a weird place, and Mary, Joseph, and the baby did not even have a bed to lay on. Justifiably, you could say Mary and Joseph were homeless in Bethlehem. And did they complain? There's no record in the, in the passage of them complaining. There's no record in the story of them complaining. The picture we get of Mary and Joseph is they just did what they had to do. They're in the area where the animals are, and so Mary finds some cloth. Mary finds an animal manger, and she puts the baby in the manger. They just did what they had to do to make this place the best home for themselves they could. But let's go ahead and skip ahead in the story because that's basically where the Luke story ends. He then talks about the shepherds, but we're going to skip ahead to the story of the wise men. I was mentioning Epiphany earlier, so let's go ahead and talk about them. The Magi is what the Bible actually calls them. And we're going to pick up the story halfway into it. So the Magi see a star from the east or in the east. We're not exactly sure how to translate that, but they recognize this star portends a king. And so they travel from wherever they are in the east, to Jerusalem, where they, they have a prophecy that a king is supposed to come, and they meet up with King Herod, and Herod asks them some questions, gets some information, and they get some information from Herod about where the star is leading them to, where the king is supposed to be born. It says this, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Make note of this, we'll come back to it in a little bit. Herod asks them the exact time, how long has the star been in the sky? When did it appear? Give me all the details. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. We're going to know that Herod wants to know when did this child, when was this child born? When did the star show up? 
Herod needs to know that information for later. Anyway, as soon as you find him, Herod says, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Excuse me. When they came to the house, Mary and Joseph aren't in a stable. They're in a house. More than that, they're not just in a house. Keep reading. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In a few moments, we find this. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. In other words, Herod concluded, and the Magi had included, that the baby was about two years old. He could have been recently born and the star showed up early enough for the Magi to get there, or the baby could have been born when the star showed up, and so maybe the baby is two years old, maybe he is newly born. We don't know. What we know is they are in a house, and the best guess of Herod is that this baby is now two years old, which means Mary and Joseph have been in Bethlehem for about two years maximum at this point in time. That's an amazing thing. They didn't just make a home out of the manger. They actually bought a house. Somehow Mary and Joseph acquired for themselves a house and made a real home there in Bethlehem for two years. Now, we don't know how long they had actually been there. We just have some hints from this guideline that it was up to two years. So the thing that I want you to know is whether it was a day, whether it was a week, whether it was two years long, here's the point. Mary and Joseph made a home in Bethlehem. Mary made a home for her baby when she laid him in a manger. Joseph made a home for his wife there in Bethlehem somehow. And we get the picture that home isn't just something that you have. Home is something you do. Home is something you make You make a home. Well, I want to take a look at another passage here as we continue the story. You see, we skipped over a couple verses there, and I want to take you back to them. It says this, When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Again, Mary and Joseph are going to be homeless. Again, an authority figure tells them to pack up and move to another place. And again, do they complain? Look what Joseph does. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. As soon as he wakes up from the dream, he doesn't wander around, wander around saying, was it real or was it fake? He just gets up and he goes. An angel spoke to him once before about Mary and the child. Now the angel speaks to him again about getting up and going and he just does. There's no complaining. He's just going to do what he's supposed to do. But what that means is that Mary and Joseph are homeless again. As you continue to read in the story, you'll discover that they lived in Egypt for as long as it took 
until Herod died. And then they came back and made a home in Nazareth for themselves. But the picture we get of the Christmas story is these first two individuals involved in the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, spend the majority of the Christmas story homeless. If you feel like home doesn't feel right to you these days, if Christmas doesn't feel right to you these days, if something feels off or it doesn't make sense, if you're feeling out of place this Christmas, you're exactly where Mary and Joseph were. In fact, you've got it far better than they do. They're lying their baby in a manger. They're escaping to Egypt. And we're just closing the doors and wearing masks. I mean, we have so much more ease in our lives than they did back then. But Christmas is the story of two homeless people being told by their government what they should do and when, escaping when they need to escape, and living on the run as refugees without a real home. But there's no part of the story where they complain. Instead, all we get from the story is just the sense that this is the way it was supposed to happen. Do you remember when the Magi went to Herod and they said, Herod, where should we go? We saw a star. Herod got some scholars to read the Old Testament and it said, but you, Bethlehem, in Judah, are not the least in Judah. Out of you will come the king. You see, God had prophesied ages ago that Bethlehem would be the town for the Messiah to be born. But Caesar Augustus had to issue a decree to get Joseph to go down to Bethlehem. From one perspective, you could see Caesar Augustus as an oppressive Roman foreign dictator just telling Joseph and Mary what they're supposed to do. But from another perspective, you could see Joseph and Mary fulfilling prophecy. They didn't complain. They took their next step following God wherever he would lead them. And at the end of this story, we celebrate who they are. I want to challenge you with this thought. Home is where and what I make it. If you're feeling out of place this Christmas, you don't have to. Because home is where and what you make it. You get to make choices. You get to make decisions. If you've got a manger and a baby, put two and two together. If you've got a stable, don't worry about it. That's a place where God has you. If you have to pack up and move to Bethlehem for a period of time, even up to two years, don't worry. God has already known that from long before. If you have to get up and go to Egypt, that's just because God has a place to keep you safe for a while. Listen, God is at work. Our job is not to fight his work. Our job is to trust his work and to move forward in it. But perhaps you're wondering if you're making the right decisions in all of these things. I know for me, building our house, when Jen and I moved to Lafayette, we lived in an apartment for a little while while our house was being built. But before we moved here, we actually came down for a trip to buy a house. And we met with a realtor. He took us around to a bunch of different neighborhoods, showed us a bunch of different houses. And none of the houses seemed like they mapped they met the, the needs that we had. We saw a couple houses, and we're like, yeah, they're kind of all right. We visited a couple places, but none of them really fit. None of them seemed right. And I remember as we had left the realtor, the last house that he showed us, we were driving past a neighborhood, and I thought to myself, I like that neighborhood. 
I wonder if we could live in that neighborhood. Why didn't we see any homes in that neighborhood? Anyway, we drove around the corner and we saw another neighborhood and that neighborhood had some model homes in it. And so we went in there, we went into one of the model homes and I met one of the guys who became the first musician in our church. And uh, his name is Greg. I met him that day and we began to talk and he's like, hey, let's build you a house. He was actually a salesman for a builder back then, but we built up a friendship and we built up a house. But I remember we had to make all kinds kinds of decisions. We had to choose which floor model of the house. We had to choose which lot we would build it on. We had to choose which neighborhood we would go in, and we ended up going in that neighborhood that Jen and I had seen. But we, we had to make all these decisions, and I remember after the house was already up, not fully finished yet, but the, a lot of the stuff was up, we had to go to the showroom, the builder's showroom, to look at all the different things that we could have as components of the house. Countertops, linoleum, faucets, handles for the doors, shutter colors for the side of the house. We had to talk about how much brick we wanted. We had to talk about all kinds of things. And we had to make all these decisions. And I remember after we made those decisions about two weeks later, I so had this sense that we had chosen the wrong doorknobs. And so I called them. We were on a family vacation, but I called them from our vacation to talk to them and said, can we change the doorknobs? And the lady was like, we already ordered the other doorknobs. It's going to cost you this much. I'm like, yeah, but I want the other doorknobs. So I changed the doorknobs. We got the different doorknobs and I like the doorknobs we ended up with, but you know, they're, they're kind of flaking now. It's been a few years and you know, I'm wondering maybe there's all kinds of regrets that we have about these decisions. Uh, my Jen's regret about our house is that we didn't get the floor plan that had the porch wrapping around the side. And my regret is that we didn't get the floor plan that had the basement, but you know, we can look back at our regrets, but that's all about the house. And you know this as much as I do. A house isn't a home. Home is what happens in the house. Jen and I had to make all kinds of decisions about building the house, but none of those decisions have affected how we have built our home. See, when, when we build our home, We've made decisions like, yeah, okay, we'll only own one television. Or in that day that we get two televisions, we're only going to ever have one of them on at a time. We've made a decision to build a home where when we have dinner, the whole family sits at the table. We don't watch TV during dinner. We don't pull out the phones while we have dinner. The only exception to that is family movie night and every now and then when we're just really, really exhausted and our dinner is uh, nacho chips with cheese microwave to melt on top. That kind of dinner is a living room kind of dinner. But, but by and large, the dinners that we have, they're almost exclusively around the table looking at each other. We've made rules that when we go to bed at night, before any one of our kids goes to bed, the whole family gets together and we pray and we take turns. Each night, a different person has to, gets to pray first as we take turns and the whole family prays. These are the things that we've done to build a home. The decisions about the house, they could come and go. But the decisions to build a home are much more important. And maybe right now you're thinking, what if I make the wrong decisions in building my home? Or maybe you're feeling regret. I've made some bad decisions in building my home. See, the good news and the bad news of this thought, that home is what and where I make it, the good news and the bad news is that the bad news is that I am responsible. But the good news is if I want a different home, I can make it happen. 
Jesus himself taught this. See, when Jesus grew up, he became the most amazing teacher. Before he gave his life for us and then rose again from the dead, he taught us some amazing things. And one of the things he taught us is in Matthew chapter 7. Let me show it to you. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You know this story. You've heard it many times. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus isn't just talking about your house. He's talking about your life, and he's talking about your home. And basically, Jesus is saying this, you've got two options. You've heard the words I've spoken, so now you've got two options. Do them and get a home on a good foundation. Don't do them and get a home built on sand. You see, what Jesus is trying to say is that a home built on following Jesus can weather any storm. A home built on following Jesus can weather any storm. You and I are going through storms right now. 2020 has been one long storm. 2021 might be a bigger one. We can't predict it. We don't know what's going to happen. All we know is that storms are inevitable. But a person who builds their life on Jesus, on following Jesus, has built a stable life. And a person who builds their home on following Jesus has built a stable home that can weather any storm. You know, I know this is a difficult thing for us because some of us feel regret and remorse over the past decisions we've made. Some of us feel overwhelmed over the current decisions we have to make. Some of us are worried over the future decisions we might have to make. And I want to reassure you that Jesus has given you the answers. Read his words, know what he says. Follow what he says, honor what he says, trust what he says, and you will have a stable home. That doesn't mean it's easy. When Jen and I were first dating, I remember the first time I visited her home. I had already met her mom. I met Jen's mom for just a couple days in Southern California at the end of the month where Jen and I first started dating. But the first time I visited their home was for Jen's birthday in September of that year. And I went to their home and I was just nervous. I thought this is going to be kind of, I'm not sure how this is going to work. But as I stepped into their home, I was immediately confronted with a circumstance that I had never expected to encounter before. They asked me, to take off my shoes. Now, I had watched Seinfeld. And in Seinfeld, George Costanza's dad is asked at one point to remove his shoes in the home of a woman that he loves, and he refuses to remove his shoes, and the woman's dad kicks him out, and he breaks up with the woman, and he never dates her before. And so I knew this could be a deal breaker for me. I'm in Jen's parents' home. I need to remove my shoes. Now, some of you remove your shoes in your your homes, but I grew up not to do that. I grew up with the knowledge that when you keep your shoes on your feet, two things happen. 
and number one, you don't have to bother putting your shoes on and off during the day. You can keep your shoes in your closet, put your shoes on in the morning, wear them all day, and then when you go to bed, take them off at night. It's convenient. But the second thing I learned is that you never need to wear slippers because the shoes already keep your warm, keep your feet warm. And so just wear the shoes. And so that's the family I grew up in. We kept our shoes on all the time, all the time. But I walked into Jen's house and there's shoes on the ground right next to the door. And there's a shoe rack next to the door filled with shoes. And they asked me to take off my shoes. And I'm like, fine, okay, great. Now I'm worried. What about the smell or anything else? And so I take off my shoes because I loved her more than I loved my shoes. And to this day, that's the way our family operates. You come over to our house and I'll ask you the question, do you want to keep your shoes on or take them off? We usually take our shoes off. If you keep your shoes on in my house, I'm not going to get mad and neither will Jen. But it's our home now. It's the way we do things. And now, every time I walk through the door of my house, I take my shoes off because now it's home. Listen, when, when you begin to follow Jesus, I mean really, truly follow Jesus, it's going to be awkward, it's going to be weird. There are going to be times you face difficulty. There's going to be times you face uncertainty. It's not going to feel right. It's not going to feel comfortable. But guess what? It eventually becomes home. And no home you ever want to leave. I want to encourage you that no matter where you are or what's going on right now in your life, we're all going to face those moments of home shifting. And so I've got a little statement I want to encourage you with today. We will all face times when home shifts for us. But at those times, we make our choices and our choices make our home. Embrace this. Embrace this for this Christmas season and for the future. You don't have to feel pressured by the government or, or the circumstances to say, oh, this is not normal. Oh, this isn't great. No, this is an opportunity. Home is shifting. Christmas is shifting. But we get choices. We get opportunities to make it a great time for us, to make it home for us. And for decades to come, we're going to be telling stories of that Christmas where everything was different. And you're going to look back on it and say, yeah, but I really liked this. You're going to say, man, that church Christmas special was one of the coolest things I ever saw on YouTube. I'm really glad we did that. You're going to have moments of remembering it, but it comes down to this, not just for this week, not just for this Christmas, but for your entire life and my entire life. Home is going to go through moments of shifting, but we get to make our choices in those moments and our choices make our home. Or maybe the way we've already said it, a home built on following Jesus can weather any storm. I want to encourage you this week and on into the future to be a family, to be an individual who makes the decision that I am going to follow Jesus no matter what. I'm going to pay attention to what he says and how he says it. I'm going to pay attention to the kind of attitude Jesus has towards the people around him, and I'm going to imitate that. I'm going to do my life based on who Jesus is and what he said. I'm going to actually let it change me, and as a result, my home life will be as stable as it comes. My home life will be able to weather any storm. I hope that's true for you this coming week, and I hope we make it true of ourselves into the future with God's help. Let me pray for you. 
God, I thank you for giving us these words of challenge and encouragement. Help us to be people who recognize that just as Mary and Joseph could turn a manger into a crib, we can turn all of the stuff that we're facing into home. Father, I pray that you would enter our homes this week. Help us to know your presence and help your presence to make our home feel right no matter what's going on. And Jesus, give us the strength to follow you no matter what so that our lives and our homes can weather any storm. Thank you for this passage, these passages today. Thank you for this moment today. Guide us and lead us, we pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And His plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.